David was a fairly typical young boy. I mean, you know, rode around the neighborhood in his bicycle and played sports. And his grandfather, as a gift, gave him a book called The Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments. I think it was the 1960 edition. It was this period of great optimism about science, where science could cure every disease and eradicate poverty. And of course, nuclear energy was going to be too cheap to meter. Here, in fact, is the answer to a dream as old as man himself, a giant of limitless power at man's command, in the atom. David just became a convert. He just became absolutely devoted to science. I mean, I talked to this old physics teacher in high school who said that David's dream was to collect every element on the periodic table, which is, you know, as this professor said, I don't know about you, but at my age, my dream was to get a car. He became very adept at using chemicals by making very elaborate fireworks and entertain everyone on the 4th of July. You know, these weren't just firecrackers, these were like major rockets. His parents vividly recalled one evening as they were sitting in the living room watching TV, David used to work down in the basement because he pretty much destroyed his bedroom with his experiments. I guess there'd been all sorts of fires and small explosions and chemical spills. And they heard a very large explosion and rushed downstairs and David was laying on the floor in a sort of semi-conscious state. His eyebrows were smoking, his parents said. And it turned out that he had been experimenting with red phosphorus, which is highly explosive. He'd been pounding on it with a screwdriver when it blew up. For months afterwards, he had to return to the ophthalmologist and he had to have pieces of embedded plastic in his eyes that he had to have extracted. But then he became interested in nuclear energy. And the simple explanation was that he remembered his parents sitting around the table fighting about how expensive electricity was. And he'd been reading about nuclear energy and specifically about breeder reactors, which turned out to be this complete illusion. But the idea was that a breeder reactor would not only generate energy, but you would actually produce more fuel as he was discovering science, he also got involved in the Boy Scouts. And David was a very exuberant Boy Scout and sought out to achieve the status of Eagle Scout. And to do that, David decided that he was going to try to build a nuclear reactor. So he was determined to, to help fulfill the dream of cheap nuclear energy. Being a teenager under the best of circumstances is difficult, and when your parents are divorced, it's probably a little bit harder. And I think part of what David was doing, and he would say as much, was that he was trying to exert some kind of control over his life. And he was very, very good at it, too. He impressed people. David was this very popular kid. He had a highly desirable girlfriend who was really impressed with his scientific achievements. He got a Geiger counter from a mail order house and he used to drive around Detroit and go to antique shops and test old antique clocks, for example, with the Geiger counter to see if they were emitting radioactivity because back in the early part of the 20th century, they used to paint the faces of clocks with radium to make it glow in the dark until they discovered, of course, that radium was highly radioactive. And in fact, the people who painted the clocks, lots of them died of cancer. 
Radium, half-life, 1600 years. He would write to smoke detector companies posing as a student doing a project for school. And so a smoke detector company sent him about a hundred old detectors and he extracted this little chip of americium in it. Americium, half-life, 432 years. He got thorium from old Coleman gas lanterns. Thorium is highly radioactive. Thorium, half-life, 14 billion years. He wrote to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission posing as a professor and engaged in lengthy exchanges with an official at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission who kept providing him with information. Gee, what's the best way to purify radium? And he did right away and obtain very small samples of uranium from a company in Czechoslovakia. Uranium. Half-life, 4.5 billion years. He didn't just go out and get these gas mantles off these old Coleman lanterns and put them into a shoebox. He, well, he did do that. But before doing that, he actually was able through incredibly elaborate experimentation to purify some of these materials. He was using coffee filters to try to uh, strain thorium and radium and stuff like this. The lab was a potting shed in the backyard. That was about as sophisticated as it got. No responsible adult intervened at any point. I mean, this was going on for years, 92, 93, 94, between the ages of 14 and 17. I mean, he'd be out until two or three in the morning in the backyard potting shed with a blowtorch and he'd dispose of his clothing and they thought it was cute. He was driving his car around 2.30 in the morning and it's never been exactly clear what was going on, but somebody thought he was trying to steal tires from a car. The police came by and stopped him and then they searched his car. They found a toolbox that was shut with a padlock and then sealed with duct tape. David, he was very vague and not very cooperative in fact, but he did warn them that this might be radioactive materials in this toolbox. At which point the police did something very baffling. They were fearful that they had an atomic bomb on their hands and yet they towed David's car to their own headquarters before deciding what exactly to do with it. And then they realized, oh, we might have a atomic bomb out in the parking lot. We better get everybody out of the headquarters and warn people away. And they ended up calling federal government officials at the Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency and the FBI and deciding what to do about it. So then the feds and state officials go out to his mom's house and they discover this catastrophe in the backyard potting shed where they find jars of acids and Pyrex cups and all sorts of powders and they seized all of the materials and they later tested it. I've got the records from the Environmental Protection Agency and the police reports, and they really did find excessive levels of radioactivity, high enough levels that they had to bury it at a low-level dump site in Utah. The highest count they found when they tested it was coming off of a vegetable can, and they found a count which was a thousand times higher than normal levels of background radiation. It was 50,000 counts per minute. Thorium, it was found that he had purified it to at least 9,000 times the radioactive level found in nature. He had to have done sophisticated experiments to purify these materials. So this is when they realized that 
you know, they had a serious problem. I mean, his mother lived in a residential neighborhood. There were tens of thousands of people in the area. They dubbed it an imminent and substantial endangerment to public health and welfare. And so they sealed off the shed. It really tried to keep this quiet. So one day the neighbors discover that there are men in funny white suits in the backyard cutting up this potting shed with chainsaws and putting it into radioactive containers. That's when the neighbors found out there was something really scary going on next door. This had been the focus of his adolescence. So when the police stopped him and they collected all of his materials and raided his shed, he told me that he was pretty bummed out at the time. In the end, it was determined, and rightly so, that David was not a terrorist. He was not out to build a nuclear bomb. He was not out to, to harm anyone. Look, it's impossible to build a nuclear reactor in your backyard. I mean, David's ambition was preposterous, and so he didn't come anywhere near his goal of generating nuclear energy. He did achieve some extraordinary scientific successes. He had gotten his Atomic Energy Merit Badge and he became an Eagle Scout. After graduating from high school, he joined the Navy and he was stationed for a time, oddly enough, on the USS Enterprise, which is a nuclear-powered aircraft. He was not allowed to be anywhere near the nuclear reactors because it was deemed that he'd already been overexposed to radiation in his life. He had assured me at various points that he had completely closed off that chapter of his life and that he was no longer interested in this sort of stuff. And then, you know, as I was completing the book, it turned out that he was planning trips up to Canada to scour for uranium. And so he still, for years, dabbled, and for all I know, still does, in these sort of uh, scientific experiments. Big thanks to Ken Silverstein, Harper's Magazine, and Emil Klein. Ken Silverstein wrote a book about this story called Radioactive Boy Scout. We'll have a link on our site, snapjudgment.org. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.